Welcome to Tapping Into What Matters, a CBR podcast where we sit down and chat with people like Stevie Stace, Stevie, what matters to you? Animal welfare. For Stevie Stays, animal welfare and advocacy is part of being human. As the executive director of City Market Corporation, she knows the value of fairly and locally sourced animal products. And as an animal lover since childhood, she understands the important connection between animals and humans. Stevie, what does animal welfare mean for you? What does that mean? It means treating animals humanely. It means for domesticated animals being responsible pet owners. It means for farm animals being as kind and equitable to them as possible and not treating them inhumanely. And I think that there's a large movement toward that. In recent news, we've all seen the Fair Oaks Farms and Fairland brand. I think it shed light on the issue. Uh, People kind of started to take a critical look at where the food comes from, as we've been doing for a while, but especially as it relates Mm -hmm. to farm animals and how they're they're treated. Yeah. I think that when it comes to especially farming, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still using animals for food or whatever they're producing, but there are humane ways to go about that, at least it seems like, or is there, is there? Well, we used to do it. We used to practice humane practices and, and you know, animals were allowed to graze in open fields. And as with everything, we get a little greedy sometimes and we find out um, and discover efficiency practices that um, allow us to farm more animals and more product and more yield. Uh, and that's where, uh, you know, that can be the root of a lot of evils that we can attach to, not just in the farming or animal welfare um, and advocacy realm. So I think that, again, that kind of humane economy um, Mm -hmm. is coming to the fore. I know that HSUS, which is Humane Society of the United States, they have farm and factory investigators that kind of go in and do undercover work for a period of time, even in um, animal testing labs. And these people have a tough job. Mm-hmm. Right, the things that they see, and so there's a high rate of turnover in those industries because you just can't absorb emotionally and mentally that on any kind of sustained basis. It just tears you up. Yeah, yeah, that's a very. It feels very macro to think about it with farms, big farming, agricultural industry. How does that become something that's more personal for you? Where, where does your connection come in with all this? Well, I think it's, I think it's looking at it from a more global um, lens, too. You think about farming and you think about large factory farming, not just in the animal realm, but also just from the environmental realm. And it's all so neatly tied together. So when we're, when we're talking about animal welfare issues, we're also talking about environmental issues and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it's also tightly connected. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of the, the factory farming. They, farming has this kind of general umbrella mm-hmm. under which all farming happens. Well, right. that's not necessarily the case. And that's why farmers markets are so, are so great because you can talk direct, directly to a producer and learn about the difference between factory farming mm-hmm. and small farming and natural farming and organic farming and how those all are a little different mm-hmm. and the nuances of those. Um, so that's that's one thing that certainly helps. Yeah. 
Is that something that you have learned more about in your time um, at the head of the city market? Like, tell us a little bit more about you professionally and, and maybe how your animal welfare journey has come about. Well, I so yeah, I've been director of city market now, executive director since 2011. I started at city market in 1994, had a little bit of a break in between. So in total, I've been there about 18 years. And part of my mission back in the 90s was to kind of return city market to its agricultural roots. Back in the day, uh, the early days of city market, it really was a place where you could shop for your grocery staples, your meat, your cheese, your eggs, your fish. And after World War II, when the suburbs were kind of being established, Mm -hmm. that you know, kind of brought on the advent of the big box store and shopping became super convenient. Mm-hmm. And now with the really big box stores where I can get my cheese and underwear under the same roof, it's like really convenient. I mean, who wouldn't want that Who combo, wouldn't want that? Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so bringing back that agricultural component and shedding light on the loss of Indiana farmland and helping to kind of preserve some of that and the educational process that really does go into consumer to producer, producer to consumer. You know, if I walk into a grocery store, I can ask some clerk, hey, where'd this come from? Do you know how it was grown, where it was? Well, no, they have Mm -hmm. no idea. It was shipped from 1,000, 3,000 miles away in cases. So environmentally, that's not cool. Um, So it's really that environmental component and learning where your food comes from um, because those producers and farmers at farmer's markets can tell you exactly. It was probably picked this morning or maybe it was picked late last night um, straight from the ground. So it's a very interesting dynamic when you're able to get that kind of education directly from the producer. I think as someone who I love going to a farmer's market or a city market, you know, on Wednesdays downtown or, you know, even in, I live in Broderpool, you know, going to the Broderpool farmer's market. I don't even think to ask those people about it because I can just kind of, obviously they're there. They've shown up at whatever time they had to, especially on right. the weekends, crack of dawn. Right. And you kind of sit there and you, know, you take this apple or you, you know, get this pork or whatever. And you don't think, I don't think, I guess, to ask them tell me about this process and how much work went into this. Do you yeah. feel like that's something that, especially in downtown, do you think those conversations are important? And do you think they happen when people come to that Wednesday market? I think I hear I hear them all the time. Um, and we have a, a vendor, Sitka Salmon Shares. Most of our product at the farmer's market is hyper-local, meaning Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've kind of expanded that term local to be kind of within driving distance of Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So it could be a creamery from the border of Illinois or something from Michigan um, occasionally. But but we did bring in Sitka salmon shares out of Alaska, which is clearly not local at all. <laughs> yeah. However, their, sustain- their commitment to the practice of sustainability and how they catch fish. Um, and it's kind of a cool prescription or subscription program where you get a box delivered to you and you can sign up for salmon and they've got other product as well delivered right to your door and you know what vessel it was caught from what waters it was caught in oh wow so it's a really hyper sustainable practice that they choose to embark on and it's really impressive so i didn't have any qualms about bringing in sitka salmon shares because they were so committed to being humane being environmentally very friendly and full disclosure about where things come from. It's a really cool thing. Kind of speaking in that agricultural sense, I mean, not a lot of people interact with farm animals very often. What is something you can do that's more local or more connected to 
pets or personal animals that associates with animal welfare in your mind? What are those kind of things? That- so I'm on the state council for the Humane Society of the United States. So we do, um, we interact, of course, with animals all the time. We go to shelters, we volunteer at shelters um, and other animal organizations. Um, but honestly, part of our job is lobbying, making sure that we're reaching out to not just local, but federal officials to try to get better practices um, and more humane practices for animals too. I, you know, when I was in, I think it was middle school, and I come from a rural area in southern Indiana, and we had to take ag class. You just had mm-hmm. to take agriculture, and you know, I'd show up to ag class in my Izod polo shirt <laughs> and my guest jeans, and so it was you a, looked great. I looked great. It was a heavily farming community, so a lot of bib overall. You know, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and great people. So we would actually pile in the back of my ag instructor's truck and we would tour country farms mm-hmm. and we would write down, we would be tested on this later, but we had to identify like different um, cows, like breeds of cows, Holstein, Hereford, da, da, da. And then we'd go to pig farms and we identify different pigs. Mm-hmm. So it was a really unique learning experience for me because that was really my first touch with farm animal and being close to animals mm-hmm. in that way. Um, and I can remember a little later in high school, I was we lived on a golf course or next to a golf course, and I was running. I was out mm-hmm. running um, around the golf course, and I stopped, and there was a farm that butted up to the golf course, and I was petting this cow. And I was looking deep into these cows' <laughs> eyes and just loving on this cow. And I got home, and my, of course, my mom was serving hamburgers. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like... That was the first time I sat down and started to like really look at my food and be like, this is incongruent to me. Like, I don't think I can eat this burger. And that's the very moment that I went vegetarian and I was 15 years old. And I remember it distinctly after loving on this cow and looking into his eyes. I was like, I I can't do this. This doesn't make any sense to me anymore. That said, my mom, who clearly was not a vegetarian, but huge animal lover, and she was the one who was always either bringing home a stray animal or mm-hmm. somebody would dump a stray an animal off at our house because she knew, you know, whoever it was dumping the animal off knew that my mom was a big-hearted sucker, um, <laughs> and we would end up raising, and that, that cat or dog or whatever it was would be in, in great care. Yeah. How many, uh, like how many pets are domestic style animals. I guess I'm counting like cats and dogs mm-hmm. and things like that. Do you say you'd had at a time growing up? Um, oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, we grew up in a rural area, so cats tend to multiply. Mm-hmm. Um, so we probably had two or three dogs at a time and maybe four or five cats. It wasn't <laughs> out of control, certainly, especially for rural Indiana. Right, right. Um, right now, I have four dogs, and I I think I've I think I've met my limit. There was an event recently at City Market where um, it was ales for adoptable tails that benefited Indy Humane, mm-hmm. and they brought some adoptable dogs. and And IACS had an event immediately following that was called Sudsy Pups Dog Wash, and it was to benefit. Um, IACS, Indianapolis Animal Care Services. My husband happened to be out of town 
that during that weekend and I said like I can make no promises like you chose to leave town uh, yeah I you know these dogs are adorable they need good homes I can't tell you that you won't find one when you come home from your trip I just yeah. can't do it sorry yeah sorry. sorry that's just the way it is yep yeah I um I'm allergic to cats and dogs which is very sad that's for so me sad. but I still pet them I don't care um my husband is more practical and did a good job keeping me away from that event. Um, but my cousin adopted two dogs out of there. It's a really cool, I mean, the whole fairgrounds, it sounds like, is basically a shelter. And I think that's a really cool opportunity to get some of those dogs and cats and yeah. I, I guess whatever else yeah. Yeah, uh, out there. Yeah. There is talk now of kind of doing that event once a year, because right now it's twice a year, and morphing the second um, event into more of a spayathon. So really okay. attacking the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. I went down to Puerto Rico for HSUS sponsors a spayathon in Puerto Rico at seven different sites at one time. Mm -hmm. um, and my site was a, basically a big coliseum. And it was kind of a triage, a mash unit of spay, neuter, cats and dogs all day, every day for seven or eight days. I was there for six and I think the final tally of spay neuters for dogs was near 7,000. Wow. So it's several hundred a day. It's an amazing operation to watch. Uh, lots of great organizations involved, not only here in the States, but in Great Britain and others too. So I brought back some information to the local organizers and we're looking at doing something like that here. So how does that work? I mean, do I bring my pet in that needs to be fixed? Do we find like strays? What is that? It's not strays. It is your pet. Mm -hmm. um, the way it works in Puerto Rico is that each person had a limit of two animals. It could be two cats, two dogs, cat and a dog. But what they do is they enlist family members because most of them have additional pets too. So they enlist mm -hmm. aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. So they line up and they lined up early, early in the morning. Some of them slept overnight because, uh, again, we do hundreds and hundreds in a day. Mm -hmm. And um, we get them registered. It's all free. Um, wow. And then from there, it's the process of the spay-neuter, um, making sure that they're properly sedated on the operation table, getting them woken up, and then able to go home. So yeah. it was incredible to watch. It was, like I said, just an amazing operation that I'd love to see happen here. Yeah. Because it's really tackling the problem at the root, um, mm -hmm. which is great. That's something I've never understood because growing up when we had cats and dogs, they were we always got them fixed or, you know, whatever. And I just, it seems to me like what you just do once you have a pet. But right. why do you think people don't go and take care of that? I think there's a mindset that a lot of people don't want to. Maybe it's emasculating to a male dog. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want to breed the dog. That's Some true, people yeah. just simply can't afford it. If you've priced out at a regular vet clinic, you know, spay neuters, it can be very expensive. Okay. And so places like Face um, mm -hmm. are great that offer low-cost spay neuter. Um, but even then, it's getting the dog to the the space and get it taken care, and you got to carve out some time during the day, and then leave, and then go get the dog and bring it back, or cat and bring it back. So it can be um, a little daunting for people who just don't have the resources to be able to tackle that. Yeah, I, I mean that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I just kind of always, I mean, because sometimes you'll go and adopt a pet too, or a pet will adopt you and show up at your door, and that's the end right. of the story. Um, and they may already have been taken care of. And so you don't even realize maybe you have to do it 
You right, know? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like I said, not everybody's interested in in altering dogs and cats, too. It's just a different philosophy. Yeah, that's true. Definitely true. Um, how can how can everyday people, or, you know, I mean, obviously you've got a strong foundation in animal welfare and animal advocacy. You've been a vegetarian since you were 15, <laughs> um, just because you looked into a beautiful cow's eyes. Right. I get it. <laughs> I feel like I've looked into a cow's eyes and I've still been like, I'm going to eat you. Um, I still like that burger. Yeah, I still think you're tasty. I um, get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, but I, and so it's, you know, no right or wrongs here, but what could somebody just in the community do to maybe be a better animal advocate? Well, I think, you know, if people are interested, HSUS, and there are different kind of groups out there, right? There are groups that take a really hard line um, toward veganism and plant based diets. Mm-hmm. I'm under new, no illusion that that's going to happen uh, anytime soon and that all my friends and network are going to become vegans overnight. Mm-hmm. But it's not, I know, I was like, <laughs> but it's not, it's not a huge challenge to maybe take one day or even one meal mm-hmm. and not eat meat. Yes. Um, there are great vegan restaurants in town. There are great vegetarian restaurants in town. Mm-hmm. There are easy, super easy recipes online. You know, it's just a simple commitment to make mm-hmm. that maybe you do a meatless Monday. Mm-hmm. Maybe you take that day and say, today, yeah, I'm going to abstain from from eating meat, yeah. e- eating animal product. Yeah. So um, that also, you know, volunteering at a shelter, volunteering for great organizations like Fido, Friends of Indianapolis Dogs Outside, oh. who build fences mm-hmm. for dogs that are chained and oh. in yards. So they do it for free. Wow. Um, so volunteering for organizations like that, giving to the Humane Society, taking product to your local shelter. Uh, they always have a huge wish list. A lot of them have wish lists on Amazon, too. So if you've got mm-hmm. extra towels or cleaning supplies or dog toys um, or anything around the house, take it to a local shelter. Help them out. Oh, there is a great app called Cruelty Free and a mm-hmm. website called Cruelty Free. And it kind of assists its its healthcare product, its clothing, its hair care product, its makeup. It's all kinds of things that abstain from testing on animals or using animal product. Mm-hmm. So that's one way. And it's a it's an amazing portal uh, full of great uh, tips about what to buy, where to buy it, what brands are great, mm-hmm. how they assist. So, you know, there are a million resources. That's where the internet comes in super handy <laughs> right. too. Right. I'm asking you to like Google this for <laughs> me, I guess. Um, yeah. But I, I think the, especially that cruelty-free thing is a huge and really important important thing to kind of notice when you're out shopping because maybe it is hard to be a full vegetarian or you know you can do your meatless monday and those things like i think are awesome yeah um but you can always check for that label and there's a couple different looks i feel like that are you know sometimes they have like a little bunny on there like yeah right cruelty free there's like all sorts of different things and i think that that can be a really nice thing to incorporate for people. It's baby steps, right? It's what you feel like you can realistically do. Mm -hmm. I can't, um, I have some friends who are super, super green and environmentally conscious, and they really take strong and big strides, uh, strong efforts to to overcome the injustice of, you know, the earth. And, And I'm right there with them. But I only I can only do what I can do, right? Mm-hmm. I recycle. I I try to buy um, shop at restaurants that use compostable, biodegradable food service product, avoid styrofoam, that kind of thing. And I'm not as huge an advocate and take the strides that they do. But I can do what I can do. Yeah, and I think that sometimes with all sorts of issues going on, it's it's can be overwhelming. So just at least yeah. doing what you can do is 
little steps really can be leaps yeah. if everyone kind of chips in, right? Exactly. And thinking of animals as sentient beings mm-hmm. that feel pain yeah, and and have feelings, you know, that kind of just approach to it. Right, right. Too. Yeah. Um, you've, you mentioned um, an event you held at City Market um, earlier. Have you been able to kind of marry your professional work and your, your passion for animals? I, so... If somebody asked me, um, you know, why are you here? What's your purpose in life? Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly when it came to me a few years ago. It two two main points: one, save animals, help animals, and two, build community. And I feel like they can often go hand in hand mm-hmm. with the events that we host at City Market that are more animal focused. It is people bringing their dogs, bringing their cats, really being part of a community. And reaching out to others to say, join me in this. Uh, the the Sudsy Pups Dog Wash is the same thing. We get volunteers who are just interested in helping out. And you make such great connections through those kind of events. But those, A, help animals, and B, build community. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I, I it sounds like you're definitely doing it. Um, so that's that's awesome. I think I can't not do it. Yeah. Like once you know what your purpose is, you can't not do those things all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't just turn it off or be like, well, I guess I'll have a burger right now, right? Like, (laughs) that would be weird. Um, uh, Why, it's it's the meatiest question, even though we're not talking about meat. (laughs) This is the most eggplant-based question or the soy question. Um, Why does animal advocacy matter? For me, it's a quality of life thing. I think that you know, nobody really wants to see pain to other sentient beings. Um, Even when we're talking domestically among our streets, dogs running wild, and, you know, people do get concerned about those kind of things and take time to pull over and maybe pick up a dog and get it to a shelter. I think it's a quality of life Mm -hmm. um, issue that we live a better life when we understand and realize that we're all connected, that we're all in this together, and that we all have a responsibility to take care of each other. And that includes animals. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't really agree with you more on that. Well, and there's something really um, humanizing about animals. Right. Um, we've, you know, done some work here with um, the IMPD Mounted Police. And, you know, they all say, you know, no one really goes up to a cop in a car and just starts up conversation. Right. But when you're out there on that horse. Yeah. They're, you know, it's, it's like, oh, hi, can I? talk to my, you know, local police officer. And it's, it's a really, um, it's just kind of this nice icebreaker. It's a unifier. Yeah. It's a unifier. How many times have you, you know, been walking down the street or in a park and you walk right up to a dog? Oh, and by the way, there's a human there too. Oh, hi, can I pet your dog? You know, (laughs) but it's the dog that draws you in or the cat or the animal or the bunny or whatever that happened, the lizard, whatever that happens to Mm -hmm. be. And they're, they're great conduits for connection Mm -hmm. um, because you're drawn to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you threw in lizard because there's, Almost kind of like a, an animal for everybody. Sure. You know, like yeah. I, I, I'm not one who would want to keep necessarily like a lizard or a turtle just because I you have to feed them like crickets, I think, and stuff. <laughs> and it kind of just freaks me out. Right. But I know for a lot of people, that's like a huge, you know, like oh, I'm all about reptiles or I have a snake or I, you know, uh, have a chinchilla. Right. And all these different kinds of 
I love watching the way people's pets match their personalities. Absolutely. And I have a neighbor who just adopted a some sort of lizardy reptile and just loves it so much. So, you know, to each his own. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, but, you know, that that whole humane economy, especially the millennials, the younger generations, they are pretty vocal about being mission-based, supporting mission-based organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're seeing with Burger King, with the Impossible Whopper, uh, which is off the charts successful, that we want great-tasting food. Mm -hmm. We want to support organizations and businesses that treat animals humanely. Mm -hmm. And animals is one section of it. We want mission, we want to support mission-based organizations. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's like, we don't need to be deprived because we don't want to eat meat. Yes. So yeah. that's where you see all these great large organizations offering great tasting food that is plant-based. Mm-hmm. Walmart Walmart, and other um, big companies are going cage-free uh, with eggs and chicken and poultry, all kinds of stuff. So it's, it, it's happening. Mm-hmm. There's a movement afoot. Yeah. Well, I love it. Um, I don't really have anything else. Stevie, okay, cool. thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm Meg McLean, and that was Tapping Into What Matters with Stevie Stays. Some of the nonprofits close to Stevie's heart that you can learn more about include Spay Neuter Services of Indiana, Indianapolis Animal Care Services, Mobile Mutts, and The Elephant Project. This podcast is a CVR production located at the corner of New York and College. If you would like to know more about CVR or are interested in joining us on this podcast to discuss what matters to you, please visit CVRIndy.com or connect with us on social under the handle CVRIndy. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Tapping Into What Matters.